Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track, right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field. Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone! Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Yes, it is A's Cast Live, and we got a great show for you. Aaron Goldsmith from the Seattle Mariners is going to join us at 4.30. Marty Lurie, the new Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer, will be at 5 o'clock. And then Scott Miller, national baseball columnist out of San Diego, will join us at 5.30. You know, I just realized something. And it's something that I I know a couple of callers have mentioned before, but I haven't really thought about it, is how bad the A's have been versus the Seattle Mariners over the years. Because the Mariners haven't been good. Mariners haven't been to the playoffs since 2001. The A's so far are really struggling, I mean, obviously against the Mariners. They're 4-12 against them. The A's have lost the season series for the seventh time in nine years. Think about that. Seven times, and and I think it's Robert in Portland who calls the A's clubhouse show, who says, we always struggle against the Mariners. I'm like, really? Because it it felt like, like, you know, obviously we always take on the Mariners at the start of the year. You know, whether it's Japan, it's like you play them in Japan and then all of a sudden you come home. It was King Felix. It's like you're always facing the Mariners. But the A's have lost the season series seven times out of the last nine years to the Seattle Mariners. And if you think about this season, where the A's are, can you imagine if the A's commander played well against the Mariners in that four-game set where they got swept. How different this show, I said it yesterday on the post-game show, the A's clubhouse show, how different it would be 
if the A's take three of four, and they're taking on the Seattle Mariners now after sweeping the Astros, where they would be in division, where they would be in the wild card, it would be a complete different story because where we are right now, and I know I called you yesterday during the Niner game. How'd your Niners do yesterday there, Commander? Uh, I left Aaron Rodgers a little too much time at the end there. Thirty, I mean, No amount of time is uh, – you've got to run the clock down more. I'm sorry. Kyle Shannon and clock management is going to be a, an issue for – well, for eons because that's always going to be a thing. But anyway, uh, 37 seconds, everyone thinks, oh, game over. Uh, not when Aaron Rodgers has the ball. Not when Tom Brady has the ball. Uh, the the upper echelon of quarterbacks. Now, if that was, um, let's see, uh, Trevor Lawrence back there in the Jaguars, okay, I'd be com- I'd be comfortable with the uh, the game being over. But in Urban Meyer, uh, yeah, Ur- yeah, he's lost more games already this year than he has in like in like three of his seven <laughs> seasons or something that he coached in, co- in in college. There was some ridiculous stat I saw earlier, but uh, with the A's, you're 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 not you're not you don't have any faith that their playoff odds are. Wait for it, zero point six percent. It's gone up. So it's gone up. It's gone up. The Mariners are at 2.6. You sweep the Mariners. You're at 88 wins. Yankees play the Jays this week. So that's uh, – I don't know how I feel about that. Red Sox are playing okay, the – so, yeah, so so I, I kind of broke that down yesterday uh, when I got off the show. I'm like, okay, how is it possible? Because the A's do not have the E next to their name on MLB.com on the standings. So – how is it possible that the A's do get into the postseason? And I've come down to this. You need the Yankees. So the Red Sox, you want the Red Sox to win. You need the Yankees to fall. You need the Blue Jays to beat the Yankees the next three days. And then, unfortunately, where where, where you're – where your chances are is Blue Jays beat the Yankees and then the Blue Jays fall the last weekend to the Orioles. They have a three-game set. So you need essentially the Yankees to tank in the next six games. Now, part of that is the Blue Jays who are ahead of you. So you need the Jays to win and then you need the Jays to tank on the last weekend to the Orioles. And then, of course, the A's have to win every game. So starting today, after winning three straight against Houston, the A's have to win three straight against Seattle, and they have to win three straight against Houston. And in the meantime, you need the Yankees to tank to drop them down below you, and you need the Jays to beat the Yankees, but the Jays got to tank against the Orioles. Unless Uh my math is wrong, Commander, I don't see any other way. Yeah, uh, well, if you want to be even more optimistic, uh, the A's have a zero point one percent chance of still winning the uh, the AL West. If you want to, if you want to break that one down, so well, so, you're six down with six to play. Yeah, so essentially, you you lose. So the, you need Houston to lose every single game. Hey, hey, that they're playing the Rays right now this week, and then they play the A's. So there's there is a chance. Cashy's not laying down for anybody. Okay, they got the Yankees the last series of the year. I think it's is it in New York or is it? In, I don't. I gotta go look see where it is. Either way, they're it's playing in New York. Yeah, they're playing the Yankees the last weekend of the year. Do you think the Rays are gonna lay down? None of their guys are regular players. You know, their guys aren't like they have superstars and need breaks. Their guys are guys that pl- don't play every day. So who needs a rest? Because they inter- they move the way they interchange their lineup. It doesn't matter. So I don't think the Rays are gonna lay down for anyone. So that's gonna be interesting. But 
I think it could happen, but I mean the odds are forever not in their favor. If I still from uh, <laughs> not, not if I still from Hunger Games here, uh, it, like, it's, like 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 thinking about you know yesterday when I called you and I'm like, well, Toronto's got to be great, and then they got to fold in the end of the to to, to the Orioles. Yeah, who the Orioles are playing the Red Sox as you mentioned, and then did you, do you know who the Red Sox are playing after the Orioles? Well, no, you're not worried about you're not worried about the Red Sox. I know, but they have an e- they have the easiest schedule remaining. They have to play the they, need, they play the Nats after they play the Orioles. You need the Orioles to step up and sweep the Blue Jays on the last weekend of the season. Uh, not to play spoiler here, but um, if you go back ten years ago to the final day of the year. The Orioles played spoiler on the final day of the year when they beat the Red Sox that helped that helped get the uh, the Jays into the postseason or the uh, the Rays into the postseason. When Longoria hit the walk off home run in the twelfth inning, the Orioles are the reason why they got in because they beat the Red Sox after a collapse again by the Red Sox bullpen in two thousand eleven. I think that was the year with the chicken and beer and video games in the in the clubhouse and Tito Francona and all Terry that stuff. Francona. So that so the, the Orioles have been spoilers before. Uh, I mean, they're not. They weren't 106 wins bad back in 2011. But well, that's how bad it is for the A's. That in the end, you need all these scenarios to work. And the scenario of having the Orioles sweep the Blue Jays, it, it's a horrible scenario. And that's unfortunately how far the A's have dropped and where they are. Now, you know, they're, they're keeping us intrigued. They're, they're keeping it alive. But that, unfortunately, is where we're at. That you're looking at a scenario of this team's got to tank. This team has to lose every game. This team's got to do that. You know, you got six games left. You've uh, left yourself in a really bad position. The, you have, and I just want to look it up. The Blue Jays on the year are ten and six versus the Yankees, so a sweep isn't inevitable because they are. They do have a winning record versus the Yankees. How and, are they against the Orioles? Um, eleven and five. So uh, I don't know how you want. You, you need the Orioles to sweep three. Yeah, so you need you need the, you need them to fall eleven and eight, and not. Uh, it's not as bad as what the Rays were against the Orioles, where they won eighteen of the nineteen meetings this year. But yeah, you need them to sweep at the end of the year. And I, not, I'm not saying the, again, not saying that the Orioles can't do it, but I just don't see um, a situation where they do. But you know, a quick aside with the Orioles. Congratulations to Cedric Mullins. He's the first, I believe, he's the first Orioles player ever to have a thirty thirty season which is remarkable how many good players they've had in their franchise history. He's the first guy to have a 30-30 year. So there's something you'd look forward to if you're watching the Orioles and Jays and, and Red Sox play this week. You can watch yeah, Cedric well, Mullins. You can watch Cedric Mullins play. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Now, yesterday was a great day. I mean, yesterday was a lot of fun. You know, you look at the two. We need to establish, because back-to-back days in the post-game notes, they have said it's 94 walk-off wins in the Bob Melvin era, which is the most in baseball. So they had that on Saturday, and then the PR staff put it out again on Sunday. We need to figure, is it 94 or is it 95? Because Saturday, Saturday's postgame note says 94, and then they put 94 again on Sunday. Is it 94 or 95? Because that truly is amazing 
how many walk-off wins the A's have had under Bob Melvin. It's by far, whether it's 94 or 95, it's the most in Major League Baseball, and it's not even close. You know, as Vince Catronia once said in 2012, Oakland is the walk-off capital of baseball. The amount of walk-off, 12 walk-off wins this season. I believe that's tied for the most in Major League Baseball. It is. There there is something about coming back, winning, playing the entire 27 outs under Bob Melvin. There's something about that. I, you know, when you, when you think of how many walk-off wins the A's have, you think of all the different players, you think of all the different coaches, the one constant has been Bob Melvin. All the players have changed. There's not one player here that was here when he first took over. And there's the most walk-off wins. Bob Melvin teams play every single out to the end of the game. That's fact. You can't deny that. The amount of walk-off wins is truly amazing under Bob Melvin since he took over in 2011. Yeah, if you go back and just look at the walk-off wins that the A's have had in a season, the record is 15 in 2004. They had 14 in 2012 under Bob. They had they have 12 this year, so that's third all-time in A's history, 12 in, 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 2000, in 2021. They had 12 in 2003 and 12 in 1985. Um, I wasn't born in 1985, so I couldn't tell you what the walk-off wins were like back then. But that's the solution. I wasn't was. even in high school then, so yes, <laughs> I can't even tell you what that was like. How many walk-offs did Ricky have that year? Oh no, sorry, he was traded. Yeah, he was. Wait, wait, he was a Yankee at that point. Yeah, yeah. Remember, I, I'm sure that was when Sandy found a bunch of guys from Baseball America and traded them to the Yankees. Yeah, 85. But, yeah. I mean, when you think about the one constant. That's been here the whole time and give the front office credit. No question about it. But the one constant that has been here has been Bob Melvin. And his teams, no matter who the who the players are, they grind it for 27 outs. And years where maybe they aren't that good. Or years that they are good, his teams take it to the end. So whether it's 94 or 95 walk-off wins during the time that Bob Melvin has been the manager, that is really, really impressive. And he can't say enough about that. Like, we don't know how this season's going to end. Obviously, we don't think it's going to end in the postseason. But the fact that here they are, they get swept by the Seattle Mariners. It is Debbie Downer. I was down. And then to come back and then sweep the Houston Astros and to have two walk-off wins during that time, what does that tell you about the team? What does that tell you about the mentality of that team? I mean, here we were like, season's over. You know, we're taking all the phone calls on the A's clubhouse show. And then they turn around and sweep the Astros. You got to commit. Commander, you got to commend them for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a team that doesn't quit. Especially after, you know, after seeing what happened to Elvis on Saturday and then you lose him for the rest of the year, uh, unless uh, for some miraculous miracle he's going to play with a fractured tibia. 
Um, but so you yeah, lose odds are not good on that. Yeah. So you lose Elvis and you lose Jed, and you come back and win that game yesterday against the Astros. And you against I know mean, Ryan Presley came in and he threw one pitch. So it's I mean he essentially is the he was a he didn't get the lose he didn't get the L on the on the on the uh, win loss record, but. That pitch was right there in the middle, and kudos to Mark Canna for swinging at the first pitch. I thought that ball was gone when he hit it. Not going to lie. I thought it was going to be a walk-off grand slam, which would have been the third A's grand slam of the year, but this team doesn't quit. They never have. Even when the team wasn't that good, and the when they weren't very good, what, 2015, 16, and 17, they were always competing in games. That's that's what Bob instills in the team, and they the, the players always say that. They want to win for Bob Melvin. Like Even Sean Doodle said that. Like They want to win because Bob doesn't let you – quit on games like they want to win where teams you see teams have already packed it in like the Mets I'm sure I'm sure they're going to pack it in now the Padres are going to start packing it in hell one of the Bengals players said the Steelers quit yesterday in the game in the NFL it's week three week three of the NFL week season three and players are quitting quit week three so there, there's there's that so they don't quit they come back they, they sweep the number one team in the division you don't let them clinch the division on your home field which was awesome and then now you got to go play a team that you have really struggled to play against under Bob Melvin. The the win the win loss record under Seattle against Seattle with Bob Melvin is not great, but against everyone else, Bob does a pretty good job. It's just Seattle's like that one team for some reason that always gives the Ace fits, and they again they're four and twelve versus them this year, and you hope it doesn't go to four and I don't want to four and fifteen. You hope it goes to seven and twelve this year. Uh, you're saying there's a chance. Coming up next. Oh, sorry, I got the answer. I got the answer from the great Mike Selleck. 95 walk-off wins under Bob Melvin. Okay, so I knew, like, it said 94 on Saturday and then 94 again in the postgame notes on uh, Sunday, but 95 walk-off wins. You have some John Gruden for me? Oh, yeah, I got Gruden because the Raiders had the big win yesterday. So yesterday, so I got – A's on my television. I got Raiders on my computer. Literally, as Mark Canna's hitting it off the wall, Carlson is lining up for the game-winning field goal in overtime. Literally, the A's and the Raiders finished winning at basically the same time yesterday. It was awesome. We will have to play a little John Gruden for you next, right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Presley, a right-hander out of the stretch. They lead from first, second, and third. He's ready now. He throws, and it's swung a drill to left field. Way back. How far will it fly? Off the wall. And the A's have won it. Mark Hanna picks on the first pitch from Presley in the bottom of the ninth inning and drills the ball halfway up the wall and left. And the A's have completed a three-game sweep of the Astros. And the final today is A's four and the Astros three. Daniel Carlson. Carlson 
Viva Las Vegas! The Raiders are 3-0 for the first time in 19 years. Viva Las Vegas, really? I don't know. I, I didn't like that part of it, but I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to play that because I put I scrambled to put that together yeah, really you quick. you cut me off. Well, that's the first time for I've ever done that. Korak. <laughs> and uh, I forget who was calling the game for the Raiders. Uh, does that, uh, was that, oh, it was Ian Eagle. Yeah, that sounded like Ian Eagle. Yeah, it was Ian Eagle. So Ian Eagle and Ken Korak on the, on the sounds there. Simultaneously, walk-off by Canna, walk-off kick by Daniel Carlson. It happened, like, at the same time because when Canna hit it, Carlson was lining up for the field goal, and obviously I got to get ready for the post-game show. So I watched him kick the field goal and went out to the studio and went, ball game over. Great day for the A's. You know what? It was a great sports day. If you, if you really think about yesterday, if you like golf, the United States absolutely rolled the Europeans in the Ryder Cup. Now, if you're a Niner fan, you're not ha happy. I get it. Sunday night football, Aaron Rodgers, who you all said he was done. You all said he didn't have anything left in the tank. You all said that he didn't want to play for the Packers anymore. How'd that work out yesterday for the Niners? 37 seconds left. Uh, that's way too much time for a guy that we've seen how many times win games? Uh, how many? Ask Detroit about how many times he beat them with less time left on the clock. And you're talking about great moments. Justin Tucker's 66-yard field goal that hit the crossbar and bounced in. If you're a Lions fan, I feel so bad for you. Just all the heartbreaking losses they go through, and then to have that one happen, the longest kick in NFL history, end a game where you thought you were going to be Baltimore moving to one and two, and that happens. I mean, that's just, that's really unfortunate. That was brutal. That was that. Can, can you, can you get me some John Gruden, please? Uh, yeah, here was Gruden uh, after the game. Uh, no, well, here's Gruden. I'll tell you what, man. This team gave 125%, not just 110%, 125% with the extra quarter. Derek Carr, field general. And I love the new hair, man. That's some good-looking stuff right there. You can join me and Mark at the Barber anytime. I feel like we had to win this game twice. <laughs> the great Frank Caliendo. We need to have him on the program. Uh, I'm sure he would do it. He's he's so great. Um, oh, I got, I got his cell number. I mean, he came on. I remember uh, when we had him on 95.7, and uh, he got me tickets because he was performing – down here in San Jose, and he got me tickets, and I went to the show with my wife. Uh, he's phenomenal. Frank Caliendo, because the thing is, like, we love the sports stuff, but Frank Caliendo on his shows, he's more doing, like, De Niro, Pacino. He, 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 he's doing the top celebrities. He's not doing so much Jim Rome slash John Gruden, even though we, the sports guys, love that. You know, one thing that I wanted to talk about today was something that Steve Sparks told us that really shocked me, but it was such a reality, and it was so true. Steve Sparks, the old knuckleballer, now a broadcast, former A, now a broadcaster for the Houston Astros, where he said, and you know, when former players talk, you listen where he mentioned that in the regular season, whether you're winning or you're not winning, players are playing for their numbers. 
It's just a reality. It's how they get paid. It's how they take care of their families. You may not like it. You may not want to hear it, but it's a reality. So when everybody calls up into the postgame show that we like to call the A's clubhouse show, and they complain that guys don't bunt, they play. They complain that guys don't hit behind the runners, there's no hit and running, none of that going on. Steve Sparks let the cat out of the bag. You don't get paid to do any of that. But once the postseason hits, once we get into the postseason, now guys start to play winning baseball. And when he said that, I was like, wow. You talk about telling the truth and being honest, kind of like the dirty little secret. Guys have no problem when they get into the postseason doing the little things that win games because you're now not getting judged on that. You're now you're not being judged off your numbers anymore. Once you take the guy's numbers away and it's just about winning, they know how to play the game. All of a sudden, now they can bunt. Now they can hit behind runners. Now they can move runners over. Now they can do all those what we like to call little things once the postseason hits because they're now playing to win. And when he said that, I remember looking at you, Commander, and I was like, wow. That, that's kind of like the dirty little secret in Major League Baseball. Because he pointed the at when, when we had when we had Sparksy on, the Astros were actually taking BP. And he looked and said, Hey, all these guys, all these guys know their numbers. All these guys understand. And all they're trying to do is get paid. But once the postseason hits, Aaron, how are you? Welcome to Ace Cast Live again. Hey, Chris, man, doing well. How about yourself? Oh, doing great. We had Steve Sparks on, who you know, a broadcaster, former player, former A for the Houston Astros. We had him on Friday. He said something really interesting about how in the regular season, guys are playing for their numbers because that's how they get paid. But once they get to the postseason, they actually play baseball the right way because they're trying to win games. I was floored by it that a former player would say that. Uh, what do you think about that? First of all, Sparky's a tough act to follow, man. I wish I would have gone first. Uh, Steve is one of my favorite people in the game. There's no question. Uh, I would I would definitely defer to his experience. I find Steve to be one of the most, for as uh, humorous, <laughs> to say the least, as Sparky is, I find him to be one of the most insightful analysts uh, in any broadcast booth uh, in the entire game. So I can believe it. Uh, it would tend to make sense. I wonder if that could even start to... The needle could even move more in the direction of the team game uh, this time of year, right? The last two weeks, the last week, especially if you're in a position uh, like the Mariners are in or a number of other teams in, in the American League that are trying to get into the postseason, how that, that might be able to take over a little bit sooner than just in October. But that's, a, that's an interesting point for sure. Talk us through what's going on with the Seattle Mariners. I mean, because all of a sudden, the Seattle Mariners are red hot. I mean, you come into Oakland, you sweep a four-game set. Uh, just what has it been like lately for the Mariners and why are they so hot? Yeah, man, what a wild, bizarre, entertaining, crazy season it has been for the Mariners 
it's almost hard to know where to begin with this ball club, whether you're looking at it from uh, the full 162 or even just this month or that series in Oakland, which was incredibly the first time the Mariners had ever swept the A's in four games at the Coliseum, uh, which is amazing to think about. But uh, for the Mariners, they have a nearly as good of a back end of the bullpen as you will find in the league. They will almost always play close games unless they get boat raced like they did a couple of nights ago in Anaheim. Normally it's just the Astros that whitewash them every once in a while, but it did happen uh, Saturday night against the angels, but they play close games. Their offense seems to just squeak out enough runs every night. And whether it's a win or a loss, it's usually by somewhere between one to three runs and normally more like one and two runs. But there is something Chris about this team that I think even for as analytically minded as the Mariners are and sort of the A's are in that category and essentially every other team in baseball right now, if you can look at all the advanced numbers that you want, and I enjoy them as much as the next guy, but there is just something about this team, the belief that it has, which I know is kind of this, it's a hard thing to describe and put your finger on, and it can seem like just fluff to talk about that, but it truly is present with this team. Um, if it's a close game, they believe that they will win that game. Now, they're not going to win every game, of course, but they've won more than they've lost when it's been decided by one run in particular. And it's just, man, they got a slow heartbeat, all 26 of them, 28 of them this time of year, and especially in the back of that bullpen. It's, it's been a wild ride, but, man, they're in it. They're going to make it interesting. Yeah, we had Sean Doolittle on the program, you know, when we're at home. Uh, we, we do the show from the field. And Sean came over and we asked him about that. And he was like, ever since I came over here, there's something about this team, no matter what the score is, no matter what's going on, they truly believe that they're going to win in the end. And you can throw out the numbers. You can throw out the run differential. You can throw out all that stuff doesn't matter. I think that that's, that's impressed me. And you've been calling these games. Just how much has that impressed you that, the, the analytics don't say they should be winning, but they keep winning. Yeah, I mean, you look at, I mean, offensively in particular, the, the Mariners lineup has been very bad at times this year. Not just bad. I mean, they've been amongst the very bottom of the league, if not all of baseball, and in numerous of very weighty categories that you you can't be two games out of the second wild card with a week to play with a lineup that has done what the Mariners lineup has done more times than not this year. And yet it has happened. You know, the, the run differential, which today stands at a negative 61 is because they have had like the 14 to one loss or whatever it was Saturday night in Anaheim. I mean, they've had enough of those coupled with just really close wins that it makes it look bad. I mean, the Mariners took a series against the Angels and they were outscored, right? Because they got whacked in one of the three games. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it probably starts at the top of Scott's service. I mean, Scott has really impressed me uh, his entire tenure, but especially this year, uh, just with how diverse he is in the languages that he speaks, his baseball languages. I mean, he is an old school catcher. And you would think an old school catcher wouldn't reference weighted on base average in a pregame media session. And yet he's dropped a Woba on us a number of times this year, uh, but he still has, he still has the pulse of that old school guy 
and part of that's because he's worked in the front office, right? He was an assistant GM. He was a farm director, had a, a good career behind home plate in the big league. So he's, he's worn all the hats. And I think it enables him to relate to so many people that way. And when you think about the modern day manager and the need to be able to bring in all the different voices and opinions, and if you're in a good organization, you value those voices and opinions, right? I mean, you hire people who you want to listen to. Otherwise, why are they there? And from what I've picked up on, Scott values the opinion of our second pitching analyst as much as he does his pitching coach or his bench coach. Now, ultimately, it's his decision, right? Any decision is his decision. But he appears to me to be very good at taking in all the information and making the appropriate decisions. And I think that the trickle-down effect of somebody with that mentality, that mindset, uh, into your clubhouse and into your dugout, I, I think we're seeing part of, of that impact the Mariners this year because they shouldn't be where they are. It's been amazing. You know, when I think about this season, I, especially in the American League, I just think about how everybody has been so streaky. I mean, it's just it, it, every single team. And I think this last week kind of defines what the season has been like. The A's lose four straight to the Mariners and then sweep the Houston Astros. Aaron, <laughs> you can't explain it. Like, I, 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 I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing all these games, and I can't explain it. Like, how do you explain that? How do you lose four straight at home to the Mariners and then sweep the Astros? It makes no sense. I mean, it sounds to me like you're saying the Mariners are better than the Astros. Is that what you're telling me? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, that has definitely been a factor this year, I think, in, in all of baseball. It has been a little unpredictable. I mean, that is a pretty wild swing, what you just referenced. Uh, but nevertheless, it has been – I think it's been an entertaining year across the entire game. And I think the fact that we're going into the final week of the regular season – and in the wild card race, at least in the American League, you now have four teams that are so tightly bunched. It's great for baseball. I think what happened last night, I mean, as tired as we all are of Red Sox-Yankees, the fact that the Red Sox and Yankees play a series in the second to final Sunday of the regular season, which is really meaningful, and that's great for baseball. Um, so I think it's been, it's been a really wild year. The fact that the Padres have been eliminated before the Mariners have, uh, is astounding. I don't know what that speaks more to their side or the Mariners side of things. Uh, but it, it has been uh, a year full of, of twists and turns, streaks. I'm just looking at the teams in, in the wildcard race right now. I mean, the, the Yankees and the Red Sox are dramatic of a team, of teams in baseball, as you'll find, the ups and the downs. Uh, and the Mariners, in some ways, fit in that category as well, although they've been really pretty steady Eddie since roughly mid-May, which is kind of hard, I'm sure, for a lot of outsiders to believe. But, no, I'm with you, man. I dig that. It's, it's, it's been uh, a hard year to keep up with in that regard. W were you shocked that the Yankees and the Red Sox were Friday night baseball, <laughs> Sunday night baseball? Was that shocking to you? It was shocking, wasn't it? I would have never predicted that. <laughs> I, but, hey, it was, a great, it was a great game, which is uh, – especially once – I mean, in all seriousness, once the NFL starts, right – and uh, NFL Sundays start to take over, you need really compelling games on Sunday to even try to move the needle a little bit. And that game last night was really compelling until the ninth inning. Well, obviously, not only do you do baseball, you do college football. Just for you professionally, I I'm assuming you're able to travel. 
Uh, just how has it been for you getting out there and, and doing some big-time college football? Yeah, no, I have been able to – I travel each week for football, uh, which is uh, very appreciated. I think almost every football crew is on the road this year uh, with a few exceptions. And, yeah, it's been – I mean, the – the crowds, man, just to see, I mean, we were at Penn State uh, week two and there were uh, 106,000 people there, <laughs> which, uh, I mean, it's just like a full house in baseball this year, right? I mean, 40,000 people seems like 80,000 people and 106 felt like 212. Um, it's been really special to hear that and feel that and feed off of that. Uh, there's, it, it does make you it makes you, I know we've talked about this before. I don't think any of us will ever look at a crowd the same way. We'll never take one for granted again. And I, I hope, I truly hope that that, that lasts forever because uh, we, we didn't know what we had until it was gone. Yeah. You know, when you think about, you know, the, these games going on with college football, uh, I, you, you have Michigan coming up, right? No, I had, I was going to be on, I was going to be at Michigan, Michigan State last week, but I got moved to a game of Baylor. Uh, this week I've got uh, Oklahoma at K-State, uh, but I've never done a Michigan game, actually, now you bring it up. Hopefully one day. I was going to bring up our, our old buddy, Jim Harbaugh. What a treat he is. But, I, you know, I, I, I think, oh, yeah, we, we dealt with Harbaugh back in the 49. I, I like Jim. He, he's, uh, he's, you know, it always depends which Harbaugh are you getting. Are you getting Harbaugh who wants to do it? or Harbaugh, who doesn't want to do it, it's a completely different interview. But, I, you know, I got to think it's just so refreshing uh, to see because we're still, I mean, you know, whether you're talking about Seattle or you're talking about us here in the Bay Area, we're still so restricted in so many different ways. As you mentioned, I watched that Penn State game. It's just refreshing to see people out living their lives again. Yes, and I know there's, there's probably some concern. I mean, there's there's been some uh, some stadiums like I was at, at Boise State a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they you know they cracked. Boise's had a uh, the states had a, a really hard time with uh, spiking cases, and there's mask mandates, and we've seen that in a lot of stadiums. And hopefully, it remains safe. Uh, but it it has been a, just an absolute joy and a complete treat to fight traffic again to fight traffic into the stadium and to be worried you're going to miss your flight out of town because you're boxed into the stadium parking lot and it takes you 45 minutes just to get to the freeway. Uh, the problems that we no longer feel uh, are quite as excruciating as they once were before because we know that the uh, the price on the other side to pay is, is even worse. So I want to ask you before we let you go because we know you got to get ready for the game. If you had to buy stock in one American league team, who would that American league team be? You're, t- you're telling me for the rest, the rest of the way now, rest of the way. If you had to buy stock and now, obviously sometimes you want to buy low and end up high. Just like if you're buying a stock, who would you buy stock in, in the American league? Well, Boy, there we've as we've mentioned, there's a lot of streaky teams going on. But I would, I'm not gonna. I bet against. I mean, I didn't really bet. But let's not take this out of context. <laughs> I didn't really bet, but I um, I discounted the Rays last October, and I will not make that mistake again. Uh, I will bank on them being deeper and smarter than most teams, and potentially less streaky than teams like. I mean, New York could 
right? That New York could, if, if New York ran the table, if they pulled a St. Louis Cardinals, that wouldn't shock anybody based on what they have already done at times this year. But I would go with the Rays in that regard, Chris. How about you? What are you thinking? Well, I mean, I think, you know, what you said, you know, the Yankees were here and that's when they won 13 straight. They hadn't won 13 straight since 1961. And then they went in the tank after that. It's like, it's like, I mean, think about the Houston Astros right now. The Astros have lost four in a row. You know, obviously the A's sweeping them. It's just like, you just don't, you know, we've seen the White Sox. They're tough, but they look vulnerable. Yeah, I think in the end, the thing that I don't like about baseball now is that the stars of baseball, you know, we, you know, when we were growing up, there were stars, right? Like Reggie Jackson was a star in the postseason. Unfortunately, now the stars are a bunch of nameless guys in the bullpen. And I think Tampa is that team that, you know, they match up probably better than anybody. And if it comes down to, you know, you got to get four innings out of your bullpen every single game in the postseason, I, I don't know how you beat Tampa playing that style of game. Yeah, I, uh, I'm with you on that. That's part of the reason why I selected them. And I, uh, I'm not going to make that mistake again because I did not think – I did not feel – I was not this, uh, have this, uh, this clarity of uh, breaking it down last year, and it became very apparent to me once the postseason started. So that's why I would say for a, a number of reasons I'd go Tampa Bay in that regard. So before I mean, obviously, you... obviously, obviously the Mariners could run the table too, Chris. They're, sure. they're the hottest team in baseball, Chris. <laughs> you know, hey, trust me. I, you know what? What is it about the Mariners and the A's? I didn't realize until looking at our game notes, the, the Mariners have beaten the A's in the season series seven out of the last nine years. I was like, there's something about Seattle. When they see Oakland, their eyes light up, and uh, they like playing the A's. There's no question. Yeah, you know, I saw it too, and I would have thought that it would be more – 50-50. Like, to me, if, if somebody were to ask me, describe the Mariners versus the A's in the last, whatever it is, decade or five years, I would think that it's been pretty even, right? Um, and maybe it has been pretty even, and the Mariners have just edged them out um, more years than not. But what the Mariners have done to the A's this year is pretty wild. I mean, it, it's not like anything we've ever seen by the Mariners against any single opponent in a single year, uh, which is kind of absurd especially since the A's are a good team uh but yeah it's I, I can't I can't it's just kind of to me one of those funny baseball things that are it's hard to put your finger on yeah before you go promote what what, what do you got where are you going to be on Saturday I will be in uh the Little Apple I will have uh, Oklahoma at K-State which uh, K-State's given the Sooners a hard time the last couple of years so I'm looking forward to that that'll be my my first game ever uh from uh Manhattan so as a Michael Bishop fan as a skinny high school quarterback growing up. Wow. I'm uh, pretty pumped to be, yeah, to be getting back to uh, to Manhattan for the first time and uh, getting back to the Bishop grounds. I'll see your Michael Bishop with a little Darren Sproles of case. Yeah. Well, heck yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> those are the, those are the glory days, man. There's oh no yeah. Well, and you think about what Lincoln Riley has done at Oklahoma. And I know, you know, there's rumors about Bob Stoops and maybe Bob Stoops could be, Going to USC, I don't know, but you know it's not. I, I've actually been back to uh, Oklahoma, done a few games there. I mean, that's a lot of pressure there. Lincoln Riley has really stepped up for the Sooners. It's been amazing. I mean, what he has done, the offenses that he has had, the quarterbacks that he has had. I know that they are, uh, although they're four and zero to begin the year, they're. Uh, it's been a, a 
turbulent, 4-0 to say the least, and their offense has not been the same. But their defense is doing something that Oklahoma defense hasn't done, I don't know, forever, it feels like. So at least for a long, long time. So uh, it's early, but they're undefeated. It's always fun when a fan base uh, gripes about a 4-0 undefeated team, you know? Well, and then we, we, we gripe that our center fielder, our future center fielder is now the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> I think he's enjoying life there in the desert. I mean, not that he wouldn't in, in uh, Kelly Green, but I think he's doing all right. Hey, it is always great to have you on. It's great hearing your voice. I can't wait till you guys are able, we're able to travel up there or you're able to come down here, but uh, always appreciate you coming on the program. Hey, you got it, Chris. Thanks for thinking of me as always, man. Take care. Take care. Got a little college football in there, Commander. Talking a little Sooners. Uh, I'll take your Michael Bishop and your Darren Sproles, and I'll raise you a Colin Klein, if you remember him, the quarterback they had a few years ago. Uh, he was, like, indestructible as a running a runner. But it wasn't oh, a very good thrower. Going, he's, he's going way back. So, if you remember, K-State was a power, and K-State lost in the Big 12 with Michael Bishop and Darren Sproles, lost the Big 12 championship game, cost them from playing in the national championship. Was was Bill Snyder the coach then, too? Yeah. No, he, Snyder was there forever for guys. He retired. Bill Snyder built a powerhouse. They sent a ton of guys to the NFL. And then he went away, he retired, and then he came back. And he always looked the same age. He always looked old. He always, I mean, but but Bill Snyder was, they were the worst, they were, do you, you probably don't even, God, I don't even remember what year this was. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated as the worst college football program in the country. I want you to think about that. And that's back when California state schools like Long Beach State, Fullerton State had football programs. So, California state schools, but K State, Kansas State. My good buddy Woody went graduated. From, I got two buddies, Rob Law, and the great Mike Hellings. I got two buddies who went to K State. Um, they were rated the worst college football program in the country, and they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And then Bill Snyder came in, and he was. Whatever he was cheating, he was cheating like, but but whatever, they, they turned it around. Next thing you know, they were one of the top programs in the country and had some of the best players in the country. Kansas I State. I remember when I drove out here, when I moved from Pennsylvania out here, we drove through Manhattan. It's a good drive-through. Uh, I mean, the whole state, of, no offense anyway, from Kansas. Totally. Actually, uh, Vince Catronio's daughter still goes there, I believe. Well, goes to K-State? Yeah, she either graduated or she still goes there. Oh, Vince interesting. Catronio's daughter. I didn't know that. So, um, yeah, I drove through I drew, drove through Manhattan once, and uh, well, I haven't been back since, but I always respected what yeah, they I did. Supposedly it's a fun college town. Well, I mean, there's not much to do in Kansas. No offense to any of our listeners that are from Whoa, Kansas. Shots fired. Shots fired over the flyover state. I mean, well, I mean, again, what's there to do in Kansas? In the, I mean – Hey, I had a, I had hey, Kansas City's a blast. I love Kansas City. Yeah, well, Kansas City's one of my favorite towns. How, how are the Chiefs doing? That's right, they're in last place. Uh, not as good as the Raiders at three and zero. Yeah, win, win, John Gruden, win. 
Season opener against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Win at Steelers. We're going to show Big Ben what time it is. Win. Dolph, win. Los Angeles Chargers, man. It's going to be electric. It's Monday, that's Monday Night Football next week, if I'm not mistaken. What, Raiders Chargers? Raiders Chargers is Monday Night Football. Hey, you know it's next week. Um, The beginning of October. There is an epic game next week. Don't tell me San Jose State, New Mexico State. No, there is a really, really big game next week. In foot college or NFL? NFL. Wow, we're calling week four. Is this a muscle win for a team already? No, this is this oh, is this, oh. this is an epic, epic game that's going to happen next week in New England. Sunday night football. Brady's, Tom Brady Brady's returns as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer to take on Bill Belichick and the struggling Patriots. Uh, struggling is um, putting it kindly. Uh, they can't score. Uh, they couldn't score last year. But, yeah, they that's going to be fascinating. And it's Sunday Night Football, too. It's not just some 1 p.m. kickoff on the East Coast. I said this, and I will stand by it, and it's fact. Everybody who leaves Tom Brady ends up struggling. All the coaches that left the Patriots all failed. They all failed. They all failed. I'm I'm still I still think Brian Flores has a chance with the Dolphins. Oh, God. Seriously, dude. But you're right. Everyone else, though. You want to talk Charlie Weiss? You yeah. want to talk no. Brian? I mean, how many guys you want to talk? Yeah, everyone else. Yeah, you Josh leave, McDaniels. You leave Tom Brady <laughs> and you struggle. And now Bill Belichick doesn't have Tom Brady. And what's happened? He's struggling. Stop telling me he's the greatest coach of all time. Tom Brady is the greatest football player, the greatest winner we have ever seen. And Bill Walsh is still the greatest head coach that ever lived. Bill Walsh created a tree that everybody in the league used. He taught you how to practice. He taught you how to play. He taught you how to draft. Bill Walsh is the greatest football coach of all time. Where did he graduate from? San Jose State. Thank you. Where did he play football? San Jose State. Thank you. Um, yeah, the whole quickly on the Belichick thing, um, it's just weird because they did have that one year without Brady where they won 11 and 5 with Matt oh, Castle. Really? Okay, tell me how good he was with the Browns when oh. he was the head coach of the Browns. How about the Jets? Where he was the coach yeah. for what, three days? <laughs> tell me how many playoff appearances and how many Super Bowls he went with the Browns. Yeah. Zero. Tom Brady, you leave Tom Brady, the kid from the peninsula, you leave him, you struggle. That's bottom line. Uh, I don't disagree. Uh, sorry, I'm looking at Twitter. Do you want an A's update? So there's no Josh Harrison, no Starling Marte in the lineup. What? Yeah, Marte not playing. He's dealing with soreness in his left lat from Bob Melvin. He's getting some treatment. That's from our friend Martin Gallegos. And Josh Harrison, all I see is, Martin said, Josh Harrison's feeling better. He's still day-to-day. So there's Mar- Matt Chapman. we got ba- six games left, and these guys aren't playing? Matt Chapman's batting second today, by the way. 
Uh, let me see if I can find the lineup. It, it came out a while ago. but Tony a- Kemp, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Mark Canna, Seth Brown. We're in a do-or-die game, and we're starting Seth Brown in center field. Why isn't Canna playing center? Chad Penders in right, Chris Davis. Look at these. Look at this. Matt Chapman's hitting 214. Seth Brown's hitting 208. Chad Penner's hitting 237. Chris Davis is hitting 200. Sean Murphy's hitting 217. And V Mile Machine betting ninth hitting 138. You think you're winning with this group? I mean, seriously. I, I, I mean, look at that. Um, How are you sitting out with six games left? Uh, You'd have to, like, rip my arm off to keep me out of line up with six games left. I'm trying to look right now. Uh, so, yeah, Chapman now second in baseball in strikeouts with 196, and he's about to Let me game. guess. Joey Gallo's number one. Yes, but he has 205. There's what does Chapman have? 196. Shohei Otani, fourth. No one wants to talk about how many times he strikes out, but he's fourth at 183. He does have 45 that home just, runs. That, that is just, that 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 is brutal. You're gonna strike out 200 times on the season. Uh, his on base percentage, uh, Matt Chapman, is 316. OPS. But of- you can. But you know what the thing about Otani is? Is you can say it's kind of like Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson struck out a ton, but Reggie Jackson still hit for average. That was the one thing during the pandemic, the Bucky Dent game. So Reggie came to the plate. Obviously, Reggie led baseball in strikeouts, right? Almost every year. But he was hitting 286 with 30 something bombs. Here, let me look up Reggie Jackson real quick. Like, yeah. we always talk about Reggie striking out, but Reggie hit for average. Let's see, batting averages for Reggie, Reggie Jackson. So that was. What was that year? Was that 1979 or 78, something like that? So let, let's look at Reggie's averages. In 19, so in 1972, let's take when the A's won the world. All right, we'll go 71. Reggie's 25 years old. From 71 down, he had 277, 265, 293, 289, 253, 277, 286, 278, 297. In 1980, he hit 300. So he struck out a lot, but he also had an average. Reggie wasn't hitting 214. Yeah, here, here's the batting averages for the guys that are in the top echelon. I'll give you the top 10 guys in strikeouts. Uh, all right, I'll do 11 because Salvador Perez is in there. Salvador Perez is 11th. He has 163 strikeouts on the year. He's hitting 275, but he has 46 home runs. 275 is a good for a catcher. That's, with all those home runs. That's tremendous. Yeah. Here. Tyler O'Neill, who is probably having the best year on the Cardinals, not named Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt. He has 32 home runs. But he struck out 164 times. He's hitting 281. Chris Taylor of the Dodgers is hitting 256, but he struck out 164 times. Eugenio Suarez of the uh, the Reds. He's hitting 193. He struck it 168 times, and he has a negative 1.6 war. Uh, Adam Duvall has 38 home runs. He has 170 strikeouts, and he is hitting 232. 
Miguel Sano is hitting 219. He has 175 Ks. Javi Baez, 177 strikeouts, 267 because he's hitting better lately. Otani's hitting 258, 183 strikeouts, but he does have 45 home runs. And then Adolis Garcia. Hit. Yeah, and his OPS so, is really high. What, what What's Chapman at? Chapman is at a 214 average, uh, 27 homers, 196 strikeouts on the year. Uh, 727 that's a OPS. Lot, that's a lot of solo home runs. Yes, I can tell you the exact number if you give me that's a second. That's a lot of solos. I know people like to reference that going, look at me, home runs he has. It's a lot of solos. What's his war on the on the air? This is ESPN because I'm looking at their stats, but they have him at 3.4 um, for his war. Let me see. Uh, pulling up the A's. Who, who has the most solo home runs on the A's this year? The answer is Matt Olson. His Olson has what thirty-eight home runs, twenty-seven of them are solo. Matt, Matt Chapman has twenty-seven home runs, twenty-three of them are solo. Solo, yeah. yeah. So Murph, Sean Murphy has thirteen solo home runs. He has what seventeen on the year, eighteen. So he uh, Murph has got what seventeen? How many solos does he have? Thirteen. Yeah. So for all the people, if you're listening out there. And you've tried to sugarcoat Matt Olson's year. Well, he's got 27 home runs. And look at that. They're all solos. A lot of solo home runs. That may be, you know, when we talk about the theme of streaky and when the A's don't make the playoffs, one of the themes we'll address in the offseason, Commander, a lot of solo home runs. And as Ray Fossey, the great Ray Fossey, taught us, Catfish Hunter, if he gave up a solo home run, it's one run. That's it. You're okay with that. Great. You hit one home run, and it's a solo. Not as big a deal as you think it is. And when Jim Catfish Hunter says it, and he's a Hall of Famer, he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time, you know what that means? Ah, I gave up a run. A lot of solo home runs by the A's. And that's why I, I look at Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy to me is what? One for four? I mean, that's what you get. Sean Murphy literally is one for four, a base hit, or as you said, solo home run. You haven't got a whole lot out of Sean Murphy. This You haven't got a whole lot out of a lot of people. When we when we break down the season, it's going to, you know, it's a winning season. They won. They're going to be over 500. But there's there, there's a lot of issues. And I'll tell you the one guy before we got to get to Marty Lurie, right? Yeah. The one guy that really, after a, such a slow start, I think you got to give it up to Elvis. Elvis was hitting like 360 in the month of September. Elvis really turned it around. And played you a pretty good shortstop. Yeah. I know Nick Allen is the future, and I can't wait for him, and he's hitting a triple-A right now. But Elvis hit. There's no question Elvis pulled his weight after, like, the first month and a half. Elvis hit a lot. He was so bad early that it took him to be this good to get his numbers up. But, Commander, I think you got to – I I think you got to – 
I think you got to tip your cap how good Elvis was. Yeah, I have the numbers. He hit 388 with four doubles and seven RBIs and 13 runs scored in 21 September games. So that shows you how good 388? Elvis. 388. I mean, come on. 338. 388. 338. Oh, 338. Still good, though. Yeah, that's tremendous. Four doubles, seven RBIs, 13 runs scored. Um, if you want to look at the solo home run numbers. Elvis has three home runs. All three of them were solo. That's called par for the course. (laughs) uh, Elvis isn't a big home run hitter. Uh, Before we get to Marty, how many career home runs does Elvis Andrews have? I'm going to say under 100. 79. Yeah. So there you go. He's not a home run hitter. He doesn't need to be. He's had a great career, though. He's He's dealt with a lot of winning. All right, earlier this week, what is today? Is today Monday? Yeah. So was this, when was the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame? Was that Friday? It was Friday, yeah. That's where I had to play Bob Melvin on the Bob Melvin Show. Ken Korak helped introduce Marty Lurie into the Radio Hall of Fame. Marty is a true baseball historian. Marty had a distinguished career as a lawyer. He's had a great career in radio. Worked around the A's for many, many years. Now with the San Francisco Giants on KMBR. I've been interviewing uh, Marty since the 90s. I have so much respect for him. His knowledge uh, as just an, an, an overall great person. So we had to honor Marty for going into the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame. Here's my conversation. We taped it earlier today with the great Marty Lurie, now a Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live is the new Hall of (laughs) Famer, the great Marty Lurie, who, of course, you A's fans remember so many years being a part of A's baseball now does the San Francisco Giants, but really is one of the great historians, great baseball men that we know in the game. Marty, first of all, congratulations on getting into the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame. Well-deserved. Well, Chris, I appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's really a big honor, and uh, everyone knows that I started off uh, at a very small station in El Cerrito, KECG, uh, 88.5 or 89.1, I forget the numbers, but five watts. And uh, I thought I was going to be ESPN radio, and I'd come to the Coliseum and do interviews. And uh, I said at the induction on Friday, uh, so many people with the A's validated what I was doing, because I came from being uh, a lawyer, a criminal trial defense lawyer, and it was all new to me. But yourself, uh, Larry Kruger, Debbie Gallus, uh, Bill King, Ray Fossey, Ken Korak, Len Kuyper, uh, Vince Catronio. There's so many people that made my path easy that uh, I'll never forget it. Well, I, I think people need to understand, too, that you just weren't like any lawyer. You were a very successful lawyer, able to retire, but that, that was your craft. Just talk about your transition from being a lawyer and then your love for baseball. Well, baseball has been part of my life, my whole life, since I'm five years old. And as I say, it's my unconditional friend. And uh, my father passed away in, uh, when I was five. And my Uncle Abe, a couple of years later, introduced me to Brooklyn Dodger baseball because we lived in Brooklyn. And 
took me to Ebbets Field, and it gave me a sense of something stable. And to root for Jackie Robinson and Carl Erskine and Don Newcomb and Campanella and Pee Wee Reese, it became a big part of my life and was my unconditional friend through high school, college, uh, going in the Army Reserves, law school, and being a lawyer. And I played softball in the Bay Area for many, many years. So it's always been a part of my life. And the skills of being a criminal trial defense lawyer transferred into radio. And I had no idea that they would. But, you know, you put on a case in court and you put on a trial. You have to make it interesting for the listeners, the jurors. And that's something that I didn't realize would transfer into radio. So I ended up uh, needing something to do in 1995. And a good friend of mine, uh, Kent Donaghy of Diamond Tree Service here in uh, the East Bay, uh, was friends with uh, Doreen Alvis, who was Jay Alvis's wife, remember her? And uh, they got me credentialed for the A's and the Giants and all these places. And I would go to the park and, and do interviews and come back to KCG and play them on the air. And I said, God, you know, I have to be on the air without stopping for about a half hour. And I realized I was a lawyer and I could talk forever about nothing. So uh, it all came together for me as a lawyer. And I did criminal cases. I tried three capital cases beginning to end. About 100 homicides I handled, oh, probably 1,000 DUI cases. And it was what I did. I probably handled 3,500 cases in the 25 years. And the next thing I knew, I was talking about baseball on the radio. So uh, I had two careers. And that's the only way to explain it. The, the skills of a lawyer transferred to the radio. And that's what really uh, spurred me on. Yeah, well, I, I remember when Larry and I had you on and we really went into your career as a lawyer. It truly is amazing what, what you were able to do and how the skill set transferred into what, what you did with, with radio. And I think about all the interviews that you have done. Mm -hmm. It truly is incredible, Marty. How many interviews, great players, past, current, just talk about just the love of interviewing people and all the interviews that you've done in your career. Well, you know, the key is to ask open-ended questions. And I learned that from Emily DeFala from the uh, National Jury Project and the Capital Cases. When you interview jurors, you didn't just say, well, you'll be fair, right? Of course, they'll say yes. You would say, why will you be fair? And you ask open-ended questions. So that's what I did really in the interviews that I did with the ball players, I asked, I wanted to know what was on their mind. I wasn't going to tell them what to say. So that was my, my technique. Over the years, I'd say, and Ken Korak said this uh, Friday when he presented me to the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame, uh, I probably interviewed over 10,000 people uh, in my 25 years. Because don't forget, like you, and I tell you, I commend you for the hours you put in. I've said that before on the show. Nobody works as hard as you do these days. But I would do a 20-minute show. Then I did a 45-minute show. Then an hour show. Then a 90-minute show every single day. And I would go to the park every single day and create new, fresh interviews for those shows. Uh, we didn't have 
you know, the call-ins in those days, I had to be on the field and run back and forth each clubhouse. And that's what I did. So uh, interviews, probably 10,000. And I have many, many of them archived. And uh, I love going back and listening to them. And it's a lot of fun. And I'm very fortunate to do what I did. But as we said earlier, the skills transferred. It was all my own shows. It was my own law practice. Uh, I had to get the clients and get paid. Uh, and in this thing, I get the advertisers and have to get paid. And uh, it's very similar to being in my own business again. And as I say, you and Larry and Damon Bruce and so many people were so kind to me early on to give me that exposure. Bruce McGowan, Joe Salvatore, you guys really taught me what radio was all about. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, when Larry and I first, you know, the great Larry Kruger on KMBR, when we first started out in the 90s, we were on the weekends and we were having you on as we were doing the Giants pre and post game show Right. Uh, to think of like where we've all come from that point. <laughs> you, you know, one guy that I think about who you interviewed, who you were really close with was Tory Hunter. There was something mm. about Tory Hunter. Like you think about your great interviews, Tory Hunter really opened up obviously when he was with the twins, then went to the angels, but there was something like, like you guys, like Tory Hunter loved you. Boy, that's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had a great report. I couldn't wait for the twins to come into town and have Tory Hunter on the show. We talked about growing up in Mississippi and what life was like. And yeah, very good memory. That's good, Chris. That's good knowledge. Seriously. Tory Hunter was one of my favorites. And uh, there were so many uh, during the years. Frank Robinson, uh, to, to talk with him about his career and uh, for him to say that his first homer was off so-and-so, I'd say, no, Frank, it was off Paul Minner. And he'd go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. And the, the funny thing about all this stuff was, you know, I know baseball and I, I know the history of the game. And when I would interview someone, I would maybe just run into them and had to pull upon my knowledge uh, to, to do the interview. But I would see in their eyes that they knew that I knew and once that happened, the interview took off. And look, Bill King, I love Bill King. Bill King couldn't have been nicer to me. He listened to everything I did, and he was so encouraging to me. It was the validation that I could do this, and you guys were part of it. Leonard Coppett, Bill Rigney, the whole A's family was part of my validation. Art Howe, Ken Maka, Rick Peterson, uh, Jason Giambi. Uh, I would give T-shirts out, uh, Marty Lurie talking baseball right off the bat. And there was Miguel Tejada wearing the right off the bat T-shirt in the clubhouse. And folks love that. So what can I tell you? <laughs> and, and, I, and, and to tell the fans out there, one of the things that was truly amazing was Marty would bring to me stuff about my grandfather and oh. stuff in, in the PCL that, you know, Marty, that I, I think that will – I'll never forget that. And what, what you did for me with my grandfather was very, very special. I'll never forget that. Well, it's fab Bob Elliott. Uh, come on, he was MVP in the National League. He was a big hitter with the Boston Braves. He was great in the PCL with San Diego. He played for the New York Giants at one point in his career. A uh, good third baseman, a hard hitter, and a good baseball man, a lifer in baseball. And uh, and you look like him. 
when I look at those pictures of him and those baseball cards in the late 40s, early 50s, I see your face when I look at Bob Elliott. So uh, it's something for you to be proud of. It's a great family legacy. And uh, that passion you have for the game comes across. It really does come across easily. Yeah, I got the MVP trophy at my house right now. It, it means so much to our family. And I think about the time that, uh, you know, my grandfather at the end of his career when he played for the New York Giants, played with Willie Mays. And I remember talking to Willie Mays about it. And I'll never forget going into spring training. I don't remember what year this was. You and Willie Mays holding <laughs> court in the middle of the table there at Scottsdale, Arizona, just talk about how your relationship has evolved over time with truly, I mean, you could say arguably the greatest player of all time. Well, it's one of the biggest thrills in my life. Remember, I'm a kid from Brooklyn. I saw Willie Mays play against the Dodgers at Ebbets Field and Carl Erskine no hit the Giants. And over the years, I've said to Willie, Willie, Carl Erskine no hit you in May of 1956. He said, no, I think I got a hit. I said, Willie, you didn't. Trust me. You didn't get a hit. So we would sit in spring training uh, and talk. And because of the fact that I knew a lot of, you know, his career, he liked to test me. And we'd talk about the catch in 1954. And I'd say, well, you've been milking that catch, uh, you know, for 60 years. And he'd say, can't you ask better questions than that? You're a lawyer. You know, we would go, seriously, go back and forth. So what did, he, um, by yeah. way, what did he say to that when he said, you've been milking that, that, that highlight for years? He'd laugh. He'd start, I'd say, Monty Irvin's told me you had that catch all the way. And he'd say, yeah, the throw, though. How about the throw? I'd say, yeah, the throw was something else, but everybody knew you were catching the ball. So, you know, we would go back and forth and have fun with it. But the test for me, and this is what turned it around, he said, we were talking about home runs. And of course, uh, the Cincinnati Reds in 56, Tremendous power hitting team. They had no pitching, but they could hit home runs. And he said, ah, name the 56 Reds. So I said, Ted Klazuski, Johnny Temple, Roy McMillan, Gus Bell, Frank Robinson, Wally Post, Ed Bailey. He said, yeah, but who played third? And I said, Ray Jablonski. And when I told that to Willie, and Willie looked at me, from that day forward, he gave me that respect. So fast forward about two years after that, Willie is now hired by Tommy Bahama to do some uh, shows where he signs autographs, takes a picture, and then he's interviewed for an hour in front of the whole crowd. He chose me to be the interviewer of Willie Mays, and that's when we would get into the shtick of going back and forth. And we did a show in front of uh, Barbara Sinatra and her foundation in Palm Springs in front of a thousand people, and uh, Willie was great. And really, it's one of the thrills of my life, a kid from Brooklyn talking to Willie Mays. Who could see that coming when I was 10 years old? Just what was that time like where you got three different teams, three different boroughs? What, what was baseball like in New York back in the day? Well, I remember it's the 50s and we didn't have the Internet. You didn't have ESPN. You had your baseball cards. And that's the way you uh, learned the players. Uh, so. Um, everyone was fiercely loyal to their team. And I'll give you the example. I lived in Brooklyn and the, we had like a duplex where we had the lower part and there was a family that lived above us. They were New York giant fans. We were Dodger fans, Brooklyn Dodgers. We didn't talk to them. 
And part of the reason we didn't talk to them was because they were Giant fans. There were no Yankee fans in Brooklyn. If you had a kid who was a Yankee fan, he was sort of ostracized. So that's what it was like living in Brooklyn. I never went to the Polo Grounds as a kid. I never went to the Yankee Stadium. Uh, it would be like going to Minnesota. Uh, you know, we went to, you know, Madison Square Garden to see the circus. That's as far as we would go. But as a kid, we went to Ebbets Field. We would take a trolley. We would take another trolley. And the magic of baseball opened up to me, seeing the green grass, the white uniform, and seeing the teams come in. I'll never forget the Cardinals coming in and seeing that uniform with the birds on the bat. Uh, it was fabulous to be a kid in New York in the, in the mid-50s. Fabulous. Yeah, and I think about all your time that, that, that you truly love the game. And I want people to know that as – you know, well-deserved being a Hall of Famer, but the thing that you love the most, you love the game, whether it's the big leagues, whether it's the minor leagues, knowing everything about baseball. Just talk about your love for the game is beyond just saying, hey, I grew up in Brooklyn, I like the Dodgers. You love baseball. Well, it's it's cultural. It, it brings generations together. Like we talk about your grandfather with you. Uh, he becomes alive. Uh, and I can connect the dots from 1945 right to whatever happened yesterday to uh, Mark Canna getting a base hit to win the game. Uh, I can do that. And it's, it brings people together. It brings people together about happy times. We think about, you know, going to a game, having popcorn, uh, baseball unfolds so slowly. Leonard Toppett always said it, that we remember the great moments. And that's what it does. It's, it gives us happy moments to remember with our family, uh, the grandfather, the father telling the child about baseball and about his heroes. And they're not talking about mortgage payments or alimony payments or vaccines or anything like that. They're talking about something happy. So that's why baseball to me is very important. It brings the culture together. I don't care race, color, creed, religion. I don't care who you are. You get together over baseball, and that's what baseball does. Chris, I've done over 4,000 pregame and postgame shows in my 25 years, and I've probably interviewed 10,000 people. I, I handled probably 3,500 criminal cases. It's been 50 years that I've been doing this, and every day for me, I swear to you, every day for me is like opening day at the ballpark. I can't wait to see what happens with the A's and Mariners tonight. I've seen the A's do this before. They run the table. They put pressure on everybody. It's part of baseball, and every day for me is opening day. And that's the truth. Well, I, I, I know I've told you this story. It's one of my favorite stories about you. Leaving Harris in Lake Tahoe. <laughs> right. turn, yeah, turning on Marty Lurie on KMBR in Lake Tahoe. I get home in San Jose. It took like seven hours. You were on the entire time. It was, right. it was, it, it was, I mean, your career is amazing. And you know what? I know how much you've done in your career. We don't want you to retire anytime soon. No, no, there's no reason to, uh, you know, I still love the game and, uh, Ron Wotus and I are on every Sunday together. Uh, Bruce Jenkins is on with me every weekend, Saturday and Sunday together. I still love getting the writers on, Susan Slusser, 
uh, Matt. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are. I started careers of so many people, many women and minorities, and uh, everyone should have a chance to be on the radio. Carmen Q, Allie Williams, Shooty Babbitt started with, I started his career. Um, Tom Candiotti, I started his career. Brian Murphy, Howard Bryant. Uh, these are people that went on to big media careers, and I brought them on the show and gave them a chance to talk. And I still do that with uh, Katie Wu uh, from St. Louis, who's a Bay Area uh, person, uh, Mark Simon, uh, Adam Copeland, uh, Patrick Connor. There's so many, and I just feel that it's their opinions. That's what the public wants to hear, and we should always the team, it's about the game, and it's about giving people a chance to get involved with baseball. And that's, that's honestly what I believe. Well, you and I have been doing interviews since the 90s, and I got to tell you, it, it's, it has always been an honor. You're an absolute legend in our business. And as I told Ken Korak when he showed up to the Coliseum after <laughs> introducing you uh, for, the, for the Bay Area Hall of Fame, I'm like, it, it, it is so well-deserved. I mean, I am so happy for you being a Bay Area Hall of Famer what you've done for all of us, what you've done for our great game. Congratulations, Marty. It's, it's well-deserved, and, and no one deserves it more than you. Well, I, those words mean a lot to me, and Ken Korak has been a dear friend over all these years, and Vinny and Ray Fossey. Uh, they couldn't be better to me. And I'll ask you this. Do you ever think of how many shows you've done, how many hours you've been on? I think I've been on about 10,000 hours. I bet you've been on... 40,000 hours and think of all the interviews you've done and all the connections you've made for the listeners to tell them the beauty of the baseball story. Ever think about how much you've done? You know, I've never thought about that because if you go back to the 90s where I, I mean, I've been doing talk shows since the 90s, Monday through Friday and actually working seven days a week. I, I can't even imagine how many hours I've been on you know, and, and then working around the teams, you know, working around the Raiders, working around the Warriors, working around. Yeah. I mean, I did Niners. Uh, I can I, I will say this. One of the greatest things ever, and I texted you immediately, was when I was in the Negro League Museum and I yeah. heard your voice with Vita Blue. I texted you immediately going, oh, my God, the, the, the fact that you will forever be in the Negro League Museum has got to be one of the greatest things of your career. Great honor. Uh, I was the voice for Lester Rodney, and Lester Rodney was one of the first journalists in the late 30s who pushed for the integration of baseball, and they did a documentary about him, and I read some of his columns and the things that he said. I was his voice in the documentary, and the thing about Lester Rodney is he worked for the Daily Worker, the communist paper, and uh, he was a New Yorker and in the 30s, and he would read the, the uh you know, the Daily Worker. And he said, boy, their, their sports section stinks. So he wrote a letter to the Daily Worker and they said, well, why don't you become the sports editor? And he did. And he was a sports editor that pushed for the integration of baseball before anybody else did, the white man. And uh, they did the documentary and they came to me and asked me to be the voice of Lester Rodney. And again, one of the biggest honors I could ever have uh, to do that. And that documentary is played in the lobby 
of the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. And Vida was the voice of Satchel Paige. I'm so proud of it. And what an honor for me to have that. I'm, I'm really thrilled. And I'm so glad you got to hear it. Chris, you're a Hall of Famer. I, I got to talk to Ken Korak. You should be in. Seriously, I, as I'm talking to you, I'm realizing you've probably been on 50,000 hours. And you have that love for baseball. And uh, you have you can't write the history of sports broadcasting in the Bay Area without you. And that's the darn truth. That's the absolute truth. Well, I, you, you know how much I love you, Marty. You're, you're a treasure, and we, uh, we, we truly appreciate the time. Be well, be safe, and I can't wait to see you at spring training. Absolutely. Chris, thanks so much for having me on. It, it means a lot to me for you to call and have me on the show. Uh, the happiest year is really the beginning with the A's were just fabulous. I love the fans at the Coliseum. They couldn't have been better, and they taught me how to do this job. I'll never forget it. Well, from a successful lawyer to a great broadcaster, congratulations on a Hall of Fame career. But we don't want you retiring anytime soon. Don't worry. Don't worry. As long as I have my Comrex and I can ask questions, I'll be on the air. <laughs> no problem. You're the best, Marty. Take care. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much. The great Marty Lurie, now a Hall of Famer. And he went into the Hall of Fame being introduced by the voice of your Oakland Athletics, Ken Korak, who also is a Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer. I was there for Ken's. Uh, that, was a, that was a cool thing. That was in 2019, I want to say, that's when that happened, when Ken went in. Because they didn't do it last year, right, because of COVID? Yeah, that's, yeah, I would assume so. I don't want to say yes, but... Um, yeah, I remember being, so 2019 was Ken and a bunch and a lot of other deserving individuals. And then I believe the Bay area, um, sports hall of fame is tomorrow. It's Boach and, uh, Ricky Henderson are like the headliners for it. Which by the way, is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard that Ricky Henderson is not a, a, a Bay shop? He's not already in the Bay area hall of fame. Is, is it like, because, how is that possible? Is it cause he's a Mariners legend and they wanted to wait for time to you mean angel legend Padre? Mariner slash Red Sox slash Blue Jay, Blue Jay, <laughs> Yankee. You know, it was it, it took Derek Jeter 20 years to finally beat Ricky's. Re Ricky owned the all time record for Yankees in stolen bases. I don't, I don't even remember how long he was there. I mean, it was a few years. Took Jeter twenty years to pass Ricky as the all-time leader in stolen bases for the Yankees. That just shows you how good of an incredible base stealer Ricky Henderson was. I'll, well, I call. Well, you take control of your dog, by the way. People can't see this, but <laughs> I mean, get control of this thing. Well, uh, she's just craw crawling on the air mattress and diving under the pillows. But I'll look up Ricky's stats. I'll, I'll give. Uh, I'll give our friend Scott Miller a call because. Uh, how many years was Ricky with the Yankees? Let's see. Um, pulled up. Ricky was with the New York Yankees. If you look at his different spans, five total years, and he stole 326 bases there. <laughs> he was there for five years. It took Derek Jeter over 20 years to pass Ricky Anderson. Scott Miller, longtime baseball columnist. He now uh, works for doing TV 
with the San Diego Padres. Scott, Chris Towns with the Oakland A's. How are you? Real good, Chris. Nice to be back with you. How are you? Uh, things are, they're okay. We're, as Matt Chapman said, we're still breathing. Breath is a good thing, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the A's could be in a lot better situation right now, but you know, with, with down to the season's final six games, there are also a lot of teams that don't have anything to play for this week. So Stranger things have happened, you know. I mean, I'm not predicting it, but on the day before the St. Louis Cardinals started this 16-game winning streak, the Fangraphs uh, standings board had them at a 5% chance to make the playoffs. They went from 5 to about 100% in two or three weeks. So, you know, the A's task could be steeper. You know, I, th th there, there's no rhyme or reason, and I don't know if, like, uh, you can even figure this out, but, you know, like the Yankees were here. The Yankees had won 13 straight. That was the first time they'd done that since 1961. And then right after that, they fell off a cliff. Everybody has been so streaky. Scott, think about this. We just got swept by the Seattle Mariners for the first right. time ever at home in a four-game set and then turned around and swept the Houston Astros. It, like, none of this makes sense. No, it doesn't. And, I mean, I, you know, I don't have an answer for you either. I mean, it's baseball is the best answer to give you, right? I mean, crazy things happen in baseball. You just, you know, you, you, you just don't know what, the sport is going to bring you from day to day. You know, I mean, the thing I, I, I would wonder if some of the inconsistency ties into last year, the whole COVID year and only a 60 game season. And, you know, hitters didn't get nearly as many at bats last year as they're, they're accustomed to pitchers didn't get nearly as many innings pitched. You know, I, I don't know if, some of the inconsistency this year is is kind of a result of 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 guys just not playing much last year, so they're all over the place this year while they get reaccustomed to a 162 game season. That's about as good as I could probably offer. Yeah, and you know, I I wonder. Do you, do you think this may even creep into next season? It, I, it's hard to know. It could. I mean, we're cut. We're kind of back to normal, mostly back to normal this year, but you know, it's all relative, right? I mean, we're finally, we're back to the 162 game schedule, but you know, there's still been COVID outbreaks. Players are on every team seem to be coming and going on and off the COVID injured list. Um, you know, what even vaccinated players have, have been hit. So uh, it, it, it's still kind of like the virus is a moving target. And even though we're back to 162 games, um, you know, guys have still kind of been in and out, and and it could reel into next year as well. You know, one of the most puzzling stories in all of baseball, and you work around the San Diego Padres, uh, just the dive that the Padres took in the second half, just what happened in San Diego? Oh, my gosh. That is, uh, again... I mentioned a little bit ago that Fangraphs chart that had the the Cardinals at a five percent chance to make playoffs, and now they're about a hundred. When the Padres played in Atlanta back in it was June or July, 
they were about a 93% chance to make the playoffs. And now they're, they were eliminated with eight days left in the season. They didn't even get as far as Oakland is in terms of playing meaningful games. Combination of things, I think, um, one, the pitching, it always starts with pitching in baseball, right? I mean, it always either you're doing well because you're pitching well or you're not because you're not. Uh, Joe Musgrove has been okay. You Darvish, basically since they implemented that sticky substance uh, crackdown on June 21st, you Darvish has not been good. He, he was really good April, May, and June, um, but he's gone backwards. Uh, Blake Snell was never the Cy Young winner they thought they were getting. Um, you know, so, so pitching-wise, they've had some disappointments. And they've been inconsistent offensively as well, which has really been crazy. Part of it, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, had the issue where his left shoulder popped out. It was dislocated. He was able to keep playing, but he did land on the injured list a couple of times. That shoulder uh, it dislocated three different times this year, and they popped it back oh, in. Oh, God. So, yeah, so what they did is, is a month or so ago or six weeks ago, I'm sure you saw and probably talked about it. They moved him from shortstop to the outfield, uh, hoping to lessen the wear and tear on that shoulder. But the problem is he wasn't necessarily on board with that. The joy disappeared from his game. Uh, He went through about three weeks of an offensive slump. That didn't help the Padres. Um, It's just, you know, they've had, I'm not sure Jace Tingler is long-term manager of this team. He's had some learning curve moments. And all told, bottom line, given the $175 million payroll, club record, the expectations, the talent level on the field, for my money, it's, it's the worst season and most embarrassing season in Padres franchise history. They were an expansion team in 1969. Uh, to me, they underachieved worse this year than any other season in history. You know, I don't know if you've reached out to Bruce Bochy. I, I know he didn't want to stop managing here in yep. San Francisco. Um, what are the odds, do you think, that uh, the Padres, because we, we're seeing the success with Tony La Russa, we're seeing the, the success with Dusty Baker in Houston, these older, wiser managers. you think there is any chance that you could see Bruce Bochy back with the Padres? I understand. I'm not predicting this, but the answer to your question is yes. I think there's a chance. We, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think there's a chance we could see him back. I mean, you know, it didn't ever make sense to me when the Padres named Jace Tingler as manager. I understand he and A.J. Preller, their general manager, go back to the Texas organization. They're both baseball rats. There's a great relationship there. But when they fired Andy Green in 2019, they already had Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer on the roster. Uh, they were a team that was getting closer and closer to winning. I don't understand, and I said this at the time, this is first guessing, not second guessing. At that moment when they got rid of Andy Green, they needed to hire a veteran manager, You know, whether it was a guy like Ron Washington, Dusty Baker, Buck Showalter, Mike Sosha. They needed a manager that was well-schooled in managing and can handle a veteran clubhouse, guys like Machado and Eric Hosmer and others. 
but instead they gave the job to Jace Tingler, basically an entry level manager. And it just, to me, was not a good fit from day one. And I said that Bochy obviously would have the credential and the stripes. The question is going to be whether the front office, uh, AJ Preller, as you know, Chris, in today's game, the front offices mostly want a puppet in the manager seat, a guy they can control and tell, you know, here's what our analytics people say. Let's do this. Let's do that. Bochy isn't that guy. So it depends on how much I think the front office uh, will want to relinquish control to a field manager. But I, I would assume, I would think they learned the front office learned some hard lessons this year and, you know, we'll see. And last thing on this, not to keep talking and I'll get to your next question, but uh, you'll get a kick out of this. You asked if I've talked to Bochy lately. <clears throat> the answer is no, but I've talked to somebody that did talk to him lately. Uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, Boach was on a vacation in Nashville fishing and apparently learning to play the guitar. I don't know how that's going. I can't wait to talk to him and find out. Now, since we're in the prediction business, yeah, will Tim Flannery come off the road and away from his band and join that coaching staff? <laughs> yeah, that's another great question. Oh, Flan, he's a... Uh... You know, that hillbilly at heart, uh, a singer at heart. Um, I'm going to say if, if, big if still, if Bochy were to come back to San Diego, you know, Flannery still lives locally in San Diego, yeah. but I don't know. He seems to like the freedom he's got right now. And, man, he was pretty he, – he's all in. You know this. He is so passionate that, boy, he seemed burnt out when he retired from coaching. I'm not sure if the scars have all healed yet or not. Well, I'll tell you this. Growing up in San Diego, Tim Flannery was my infield coach at the San Diego School of Baseball back in the day. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure he, he, uh, he brought passion to that job as well. Oh, and I always rip them, too, because I've done some TV with them. I'm like, you used to roll around in that 280Z at Grossmont Junior College like you were a rock star. It's it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> he remembers the whole thing. I mean, I was like, you know, when you're a little kid, Tim Flannery is your infield coach. He's a, a padre, obviously was on that great 84 team. Uh, you know, looking down the stretch, I mean, we're coming down to it. Giants and Dodgers has gotten really interesting. Well, it has, and not only because the Giants refused to let that first place lead over the Dodgers go, and because the Dodgers refused to back down. Boy, they yeah. continue to nip at, their, at the Giants' heels. It's been great stuff. Um, I just hate to see that news today. I feared it was coming, but, but the Giants – announcing a little bit ago that the x-rays on Brandon Belt's left thumb uh, showed he has a fracture. Now, they did not give a timetable. They said he's going to consult with doctors over the next couple of days. Um, clearly, he's going to miss a little bit of time. I, some, some fractures in a thumb are worse than others. I hope this is one that would allow him a quick return to where he could get back for the playoffs. Um, but it's going to be nail-biting time for him over the next couple of days while the, he talks with doctors and consults. And the, the Giants do not need to lose him. They've already got Darren Ruff on the, on the injured list with an oblique injury. 
but I will say this. Nobody, speaking of the prediction business, picked the Giants to be anywhere close to where they are right now. They've overcome the odds all season long. I'm, I, I hope Belt comes back, but if he can't, the way this team's going, there's going to be some Cody Ross or Marco Scudero somewhere in that, in that clubhouse that's going to step up and surprise people. And how about the St. Louis Cardinals pulling the 2007 Colorado Rockies run here? As I remember, the Rockies won, what, 17 straight? They had that extra yep. game against the Padres. I mean, just talk about the Cardinals now. They've won 16 in a row. This is incredible. It, it's phenomenal. I mean, the crazy thing is nobody saw it coming. They were just, you know, a mediocre team until three weeks ago. Um, part of it is, here's one thing I, I, I love about the Cardinals. Aside from the fact that it's such a well-run organization, they never disappear. Even, you know, they, even if they miss the playoffs in a season, they're never that far away from returning. And, and what I love about the Cardinals in particular, uh, Mike Schilt, their manager, was asked, uh, earlier this month after John Lester or J.A. Happ, one of the two pitched well. And those are the two guys that, that the Cardinals acquired at the trade deadline in July. And needless to say, neither Lester nor Happ are in their prime anymore. Neither one is in his prime. They're um, almost old as I am, for God's sake, Scott. That's right. But what I love, when, when Mike Schultz was asked about them, he said, you know, there's something to be said in this game for wisdom. And I love that quote because obviously I love it because I agree with it. I mean, here we, this is a game of numbers and it's a game of launch angle and exit velocity and all the data we can bring. Um, yet, you know, the, you look at the Cardinals, Adam Wainwright is about 200 years old. Yadier Molina continues to catch at about 150. Yeah. They go out and get, you know, they, they've got the corners of their infield, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Um, they're not exactly spring chickens. Then they get Hap and Lester at the trade deadline. And what, what, what Schilt meant was there's a place for wisdom. There's a, you can still succeed in this game. If you've got a little bit of talent left, if you're older, but you've got the wisdom you've acquired over the years. And John Lester and J.A. Happ know how to pitch, and they might not be Max Scherzer, but they've got the wisdom on the mound. They've got the smarts to still, on their better days, outsmart hitters. And there's still a lot to be said. I agree with Schilt for wisdom and for a team that rolls some wisdom out there along with talent. I mean, let's be honest. I don't think you want to face these guys in the postseason. No, they've got a lot of weapons that can hurt you. I mean, you know, you go from, you know, I talked about all the old guys, but they've got some, you know, a couple of younger guys in the outfield, you know, uh, uh, Tyler Carlson or, or, or uh, uh, Tyler O'Neill, uh, Dylan Carlson that can hurt you. Tommy Edmond at second base is a really solid leadoff guy, and he's just one of those, one of those guys like you know like like skip shoemaker used to be maybe a little bit version of skip shoemaker but you know edmund is a spark plug for that team um like you said you know 
you don't want to play him right now. You got all the old guys I mentioned, like Wainwright Lester and, and Hap. Jack Flaherty is starting to come back a little bit. He just came back. You know, he pitched a few innings the other day. He was on the injured list. Um, everywhere you turn, all of a sudden, the Cardinals have guys that can put a hurt on you. And you're right. I, they're a dangerous team right now. You know, one of the sad things about our sport, but it's just a reality. Like every day when I when, when I leave the game, I walk by this wall that shows our Hall of Famers, and it's got Reggie Jackson there. And Reggie Jackson, everything he did for the A's, winning three straight World Series in the 70s and being an MVP. And you think about Reggie Jackson in the World Series, Mr. October. And then I think about the Tampa Bay Rays, Scott. Where the Tampa Bay Rays, you don't want to face them either. They're a nightmare to match up against, and it's all about a bullpen. We went from a day when when we were growing up, there were stars in the World Series, and now the most important thing is a bunch of nameless, faceless guys down in the bullpen who all throw a hundred. I mean, they're they're the stars of the game, but they're not stars. So it's like to go from Reggie Jackson to like who's the next guy coming out of the bullpen for the Rays. Unfortunately, that's what wins today, and and I think that uh, that's kind of sad. I, I agree. I mean, it, it's it's a sad commentary on the game. I mean, I understand Tampa Bay is doing what they have to do to win because financially, obviously, in that division, the American League East, they cannot match up with the Yankees or the Red Sox or Toronto or anybody. Um, so they figure out a way to just churn through nondescript, no-name guys, and, and they've got a formula that's worked beautifully for them. This is the first time, I think, in 14 years or in club history they've won consecutive division titles now. Um, you know, and, and they're going to be dangerous this October. I mean, last October, we, re- we part of the reason they, they would have won the World Series, except they had leaned so hard on their bullpen that, that a couple of their guys were just burnt out guys like Diego Casilla. Um, this year, I think their bullpen isn't quite as burnt out, which could mean they could go deeper yet this year. Um, but you're right. I mean, I always go back. I know this makes me sound like an old guy, but when I was in college in, in, in the early 80s, I lived in Michigan, and I still say I came home from work when I had a summer job during the day, I looked at the schedule. The Blue Jays were in Detroit that night to play the Tigers. And Jack Morris was on the mound against Dave Steeb, who at the time was one of the best in the game for Toronto. And I saw that pitching matchup, and I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going to Tiger Stadium tonight. That's a great pitching matchup. I, let's go see this, this matchup. That is part of the attraction of baseball, not an opener that nobody's ever heard of that's going to start tonight and throw one inning or two and then move along. And then there's going to be eight other faceless relievers. Uh, Baseball's at his best when Pedro Martinez is on the hill tonight against Randy Johnson, when Max Scherzer is starting tonight, you know, against Jacob deGrom. Baseball is not, it's done a poor job the way the game is now developing pitching and now it's like teams just hire as many hard throwers as they can and just let one guy throw until he's tired then have the next guy in to throw till he's tired you know baseball is at its best when it's developing pitchers Greg Maddox a guy that you know hardly could break a pane of glass but man what an artist he was on the mound and 
you know, everything's cyclical in this game. I hope we cycle through this, but baseball's so concerned about, rightfully so, I think, about its place in the landscape and about making sure the young generation uh, con- continues to love baseball like all the generations before it. Well, part of grooming that next young generation, you got to produce stars, man. Shohei Otani's great for the game. Reggie Jackson was great. You got to keep producing stars and star pitchers. Otherwise, if it just becomes diluted to a battle of bullpens, whether it's Tampa Bay or anybody else, fans are going to flock away from this game. Scott, you've been so kind to us over the years, whether it's pre and post game uh, and this show here, A's Cast Live, and we're very fortunate to become the uh, the number one podcast in, in, in Major League Baseball in our show. Uh, thank you so much for the time. We always appreciate it. Once the A's are eliminated, I'm going to come back home to San Diego, and I want to take you to dinner. Well, I appreciate that. You don't have to do that. Be very nice. Uh, that's a very nice offer. I appreciate it. Always enjoy talking baseball with you, Chris. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting up in the Bay Area soon. I do know I've, I'm in my free agency year after a Bleacher Report. I was their national writer for a while, but I do know that I will be, I'm contributing. I'll be working the postseason for the New York Times as part of their team, baseball team. And uh, I think I should be up in the Bay Area for, you know, for the Giants, Dodgers or for the wild card game or whatever. So I'll, uh, I'm looking forward also to getting up in, into the Bay Area again for some exciting baseball. Hey, great stuff as always. I'll be in touch. All right, Chris. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. The great Scott Miller, longtime MLB national columnist. Did you hear that, Cody? Did you hear that? That we want to see a matchup of Pedro Martinez against Randy Johnson. Did you hear that? Guys that care about winning games and getting the win versus let's just play bullpens and be boring, and now everybody only cares that the NFL's back in. Your game of baseball yesterday, Detroit and Kansas City played a two. Vince Catronio brought this to my attention, by the way. A two-to-one game yesterday that was three hours and 18 minutes. Two-to-one. These front offices are making our game boring. Fact or fiction? Well, the games are too long. I won't disagree there. Um, I don't want to get into the wins and lot because we're almost out of time. I don't want to get into that argument. But How many games did Randy Johnson win? Uh, over 300. How's that possible? If wins don't matter, how do he win over 300? Well, he pitched deep in the games where he pitches aren't a lot of pitch deep in the games anymore. Who's your favorite pitcher of all time? Uh, Greg Maddox. He went 355 how many, games. How many did he win? 355. Oh, okay. Well, how did he win games if wins don't matter? Well, I'll bring up a, I'll bring a good example up to you. Uh, Shohei Otani went seven innings yesterday, allowed one run, struck out 10, threw 112 pitches, seven innings, one run. The Angels scored one stinking run for him. Everyone's going to say, well, he's... Whoa, 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 whoa. He's hitting. You cannot use him as an example. <laughs> Again, he scored. they scored one he run for him. He didn't provide a run for himself. You cannot use him anymore. Uh, they they end, up, they end up losing the game, by the way. What <laughs> so, did he do? What did he do offensively? Oh, I didn't look at his batting number. He didn't hit a home run, though. I know that. He's hitting for himself. He's providing <laughs> runs for himself. Yeah. Well, I, there's a piece of audio I have, and... I don't have enough time, so I'm going to have to play. You know what? It's only 15 seconds. I'm going to play it. I said, I, you know what? You brought up you brought up teams and, and, and relievers. I'm just, I'm just going to play it, and here it is. 
I, I'm calling it now. There will be a collapse in Milwaukee, and the Chicago Cubs will catch them. Mark that down June Ooh. 30th at 5.09. The Milwaukee Brewers will end up gagging, and in September when they can't call up 8,000 guys, mm. it will affect them. Mark it mar- Check the tape, as they no, like to say. This isn't radio. So, uh... <laughs> You saying the uh, Brewers are going to choke away the NL Central. How, how did that prediction work out? <laughs> well, it would have been better if you said they're going to choke it away, but then you threw in the Cubs in there, too. I threw in the Cubs, yeah, <laughs> who, who, who basically sold the farm. You know what? I am a man of honor, okay? I will admit when I am wrong. Unlike you, Commander Cody, who you never want to admit you're wrong, and you'll always sideswipe it, and I will admit, and I apologize to the good friend of Bob Melvin, Craig Council. I apologize. I was wrong. I was I was wrong about the Milwaukee Brewers. You, you need you need to get Bob Euchre on the phone and tell him. I will. I I I, I and uh, <laughs> Brian Anderson, Bob Euchre, Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, Harvey's Wallbangers. I apologize <laughs> to everybody. CC Sabathia. <laughs> The uh, CC Sabathia. <laughs> I am a. I, I was wrong. I was wrong. They. Uh, I admit it. Did you see? By the way, did you see? Uh, did you see Bob Euchre's first pitch when they honored him on Saturday? He no. so, so he How? so he so he walks out. He's like in his like eighty-seven. So he walks out to do the first yeah, he's pitch. Ninety. There's this. There's this. Uh, like uh, object on the field. And Euchre walks out, and he's going to have to throw out the first pitch. He pulls the cover off, and it's a pitching machine. He loads the ball in and throws the first pitch for him. <laughs> <laughs> it bounced into the that play, man too. That is a legend. Oh, you want to talk about a legend? And everybody, and for you kids out there, you need to Google when he was – he used to go on with Johnny Carson. He was hilarious. I mean, Johnny Carson and Bob Euchre – I mean, that's when late night television actually really got ratings and millions upon millions of people watched Johnny Carson. When Euchre was on Carson, it was unbelievable. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was on there like over a hundred times. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Carson launched people's careers, right? If you got on Carson, that was, I mean, that's how Jay Leno got big. That's how, like, any type of comic, but then all the, the stars went on Carson. But the fact that you had Bob Euchre, a former catcher, play-by-play guy, going on Carson and doing comedy was huge. Was huge, and he was hilarious. The great Bob Euchre. Also known as Harry Doyle in the Major League franchise, if you just a bit outside. What was he drinking Jack Daniels? Yeah, <laughs> that he was so good in hey, that. Mike's favorite line still is um, Quaid when it's like, "Who the f are these guys?" Oh, uh, he, his his character in that movie. That's the second one. His character is just, yeah. Let's was tear two. Let's tear this thing down and make turn it into a parking lot. Wild when, thing when he's, when, when he's ripping wild thing. Wild thing, you make my butt sting. <laughs> that was hilarious. I have what, what time is the game today? I have no idea. I'm so used to yeah. a 640 start. Uh, what time are we starting? So it's a 710 first pitch, 610 A's total access start. So we got Do you co- realize we've lost nine straight to the Mariners? 
No, no, I, I've realized. And Chris Flexen. Like, how is that possible? Chris Flexen, who's pitching tonight, has pitched well against the A's. He's two and two. He's going to get Cy Young votes, by the way. He, where did he pitch last year? Do you know? The KBO. KBO guy. And he's a Fremont kid. He's the Mariners are twenty and nine in his twenty nine starts this year. Twenty and now, nine. Are you gonna tell me you watched him in the KBO? Uh, yeah, I was up at five a.m. watching every start. Him and Dan the K Man Shirley. I mean, the guy was in the KBO and now he's getting, he's gonna get Cy Young votes. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, and he um tomorrow is supposed to be Kikuchi, who I actually think if you're a team, the Mariners aren't gonna bring him back. I would if I was a general manager, I'd take a flyer on him. I think you can fix his mechanics. He throws ninety-seven from a left from the left side. So I'm, but so he's not going to start tomorrow. Apparently, it's still it's now being uh, TBA on who the Mariners are going to use. So Kikuchi not starting tomorrow. Apparently, from what I saw, Ryan Divish, our friend from the Seattle Times, tweeting. So you got to beat Flexen today. Some unknown game. Whoever starts tomorrow, and then there's a uh, there's a really wild. Has he pitched since since no he faced us? I don't think so. So I want to say they're like. And this is off the top of my head from the notes. I want to say they're like twenty and nine in his starts. Well, Fle- yeah, Flexen, they're twenty and nine. Yeah, yeah, Flexen, twenty and nine because they were nineteen and nine, and then he beat us. Yeah, it's twenty and nine. Uh, there's a thing put out there by John Boy Media. It's about the tie- the the five teams in the wildcard race, and essentially here's how it could go if you want to have a five way tie for the wildcard race. Five way tie. So you're giving me hope. The Yankees have to go one and five, and that's one win against Toronto. Boston has to go two and four. The Jays have to go three and three with two wins against the Yankees. He's they're just putting this in there. The A's have to go five and one. Uh, that means each see and Seattle needs to go four and two with a win against Oakland. That means each team will finish with ninety wins and seventy two losses. So they break it down saying if the Jays win so two, what's the tiebreaker? That's a great question. Had the head records. Someone someone asked me about that on the clubhouse show, and I was like, I got no idea. Yeah, so the the way they break it down, if the Blue Jays win two or three in New York, the Yankees get swept by Tampa Bay, Toronto goes one and two against Baltimore, the A's win two or three in Seattle and sweep Houston, the Mariners sweep the Angels, and Boston somehow goes two and four against the Orioles and Nats, the AL wildcard will end in a five-way tie. (laughs) Can you send that to me? Yeah, I'll text it to you right now. I want to. I want to ask who. Who do I have to it? Do I have Vince or Ken? I think I got Vince. I want to ask them what happens if everybody ends. What is it? Ninety and seventy-two. Ninety and seventy-two. Yeah. Ninety and seventy-two. See, I thought the A's had to win every game. So what you're saying is the A's got to go five and one. Yeah, and lose one to Seattle. We get to sweep Houston essentially. Which you know you just swept them. Yeah. And. And but they, here's they, the thing. Here's the thing about Houston. They're taking on Tampa. Yeah, and Tampa they, wants the best record. As and and you know, shame on you for for calling the Rays the the little brother of the Yankees oh. and the Red Sox. I can't believe you still do that. Yeah, that, don't get me started on that because we'll be we'll, 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 we won't have we'll be way over six ten. Um, but no, they haven't clinched the division yet either. So if they clinch if they clinch the AL West, what are the, what are the Astros playing for? Because the the Rays will get the best record. I think they're six games up or something. Who are the Rays playing here on out? They're playing the they Astros. play the Astros, and who's their last series? The New York Yankees. Ooh, that's interesting. And it's in New York. Because the, the, the way I was looking at it was basically this is what had to happen. 
You just let the Red Sox keep winning, right? Red, Red Sox win the number one wild card. They're going to host it at Fenway Park. I'm fine with that. Yankees got to take a dive. Toronto has to beat the Yankees. And then they got to take a dive against the Orioles. And the A's got to win out. That's how I look. When I was looking at the schedules, my math said, and my math would be correct because you're saying John Boy said they go five and one. I'm saying they go six and oh, and all those other scenarios, that means the A's will get the second wild card. Yeah. But they need the Jays to beat the Yankees. Yankees take a full on dive. And unfortunately, you need the Jays to take a dive against the Orioles on the final weekend. Yeah, so this week's going to be interesting. I hope we have a um, – well, I don't know. I, I, I want it, but I don't want it because – I want it to happen because it's awesome TV and it's awesome theater and everything. But um, it's just one – like, I hope we have a two, an ending for like 2001 or 2011 where the Rays get in on the last day and the Cardinals get in on the last day, like something like that on game 162 or, hell, maybe game 163 and plus with all these tiebreakers and the Dodgers and Giants and – all that stuff. So, what would John Gruden say? Win, win, win. That's it's where we're at. Yeah, I think the A's have to win every game from here on out. I agree. And the fact that you've lost nine straight to this Mariners team. Uh, checking the notes, by the way. Did you know Kelnick's on fire? Yeah, he's been great in September. I think he's hit like he's hit seven of his fourteen home runs in September. And he's slugging 553 this month. He couldn't he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat when we first saw him. Yeah. Now you can't get the guy out. Yeah, he's pretty incredible. So. Seattle. Here's a reality. Seattle's going to be a you know what to deal with. So Billy Bean and David Force better take note that not only you got to deal with the Astros because they're not going anywhere. But Seattle's going to be the new kid on the block that's going to be tough to deal with. Stop talking to me about the Angels. They have no pitching. Ooh. You can love Otani. I guess I got – we'll get to, to tomorrow. But I got some quotes from Otani and Joe Madden about the Angels in the offseason. Oh, I'm now intrigued. That's a tease. Just like my tease about the first $500 million man that we'll have to get to tomorrow too. Okay. Okay. Sparksy gave us a, a nice one today. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's so. But that's guys it. are playing for their numbers, and they get in the postseason. They play to win. We don't play to win for 162 games. Unbelievable. All right, coming up next, we're going to have A's total access for you. Brought to you by Francis Ford Coppola Winery. We want to thank everybody who listened today here on A's Cast Live. Aaron Goldsmith joined us. We had the great Marty Lurie, the new Hall of Famer in the Bay Area for the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame, and Scott Miller, national baseball columnist down in San Diego. Coming up next, A's Total Access. We get you ready for the A's and the Mariners. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.